debates uh, throughout the whole year. Uh, right after the debate, they always have that fact check uh, type thing as far as what do the candidates say the things are really true. And I, I know you listen to every single word that comes out of Etta's mouth as well as Matt, so, uh, but I do want to make a little bit of a fact check. Is, uh, they, uh, the small groups will meet on that Wednesday week, so if you have one on Monday or Tuesday, uh, you will still be meeting. And if you have a group that meets on Wednesday, you still have to do your homework. In fact, you have to turn it in to your leader so they can correct it. So uh, be sure to do that. And also, I think the 21st is still on a Friday, not on a Saturday. So the, the game day will be on a Friday, just uh, to correct that. So, um, but anyway, we, we really trust that as we uh, share together today, we, we will come to the conclusion that words do matter. And uh, often there are things that come out of my mouth. I say, what did I say? Why did I say it that way? And did I say what was really true? Uh, and the thing that we know what's true is when it comes r- directly out of the Word of God. So you can always, it always seems like I'm saying fat check, fact check. Is, um, you can always check out anything I say here uh, on Sunday morning or any other time and say, does that really align with God's Word? Um, and does it make sense as far as what God is trying to say to us? So today we're going to be talking about a very simple, straightforward subject. We're going to be talking about things that come out of our mouth. We're going to talk about words. And we're going to be talking about things that that really uh, demonstrate whether we're really walking with God or not walking with God. The, the message title is Stop Slandering and Wrongfully Judging. I, I went around and around as far as how to describe the message that we're going to be looking at this morning. It's really only out of two verses out of James. And the reason I kept it that um, short of a passage is because right before that he had a subject and then right after that he had a different subject and so he decided to throw this in for free and say I just want to remind you that what you say really does matter and he really speaks about the things that can destroy uh, rather than uh, edify he talks about the things that can hurt rather than help and we'll be looking at that this morning so before we do that let's look to the Lord in prayer one more time and uh, be prepared for oh I got some other things I want to share all right so uh, I was going to come up here. We uh, were planning a baptism on October 23rd. So if uh, if you'd like, if you've never demonstrated your faith in a public way uh, since you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, contact the church office. Let me know about it, and uh, we'll prepare you for that. You don't have to go through the our membership class to uh, get baptized. If you know the Lord and you really understand what that's all about, then we'll have the the delight to be with you as you demonstrate that in a public way. And so I wanted to remind you about that. And um, the other thing I was going to say, oh, the other thing I was going to say is uh, right after this service, um, we have a, a couple that wants to, re- next week, they want to renew their vows. That's, that, was one of those, that was one of those fact checks before I got the fact out. So uh, next week, uh, Jim and Reese are going to renew their vows and right out in between these two services. And so unless I forget again, uh, we'll be prepared for that. So just to let you know. So let me see. Um, I guess you should write these things down. All right, let's uh, look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you first for the privilege of being a place where we can um, just experience life and think about the one who gives life. And we pray that as we share together the, this very practical area of life, which speaks about how we communicate, that we might really honor you in this uh, way and not dishonor you, and that you might give us truth that will really just cause us to uh, think about what we say more often than uh, we do. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I came across a number of different things that people have said about things that come out of your mouth that I'd just share that to begin with. Um, And um, some of them you might appreciate more than others, but 
Um, here's the first one. Maybe the eyes are the windows of the soul, but that still doesn't make the mouth the door to the brain. <laughs> if nobody ever said anything unless he knew what he was talking about, there would be a huge hush that would descend upon the earth. No one is exempt from talking nonsense. So this message does you think only applies to the person next to you or behind you. I just want to remind you that no one is exempt from talking nonsense. Um, John Wesley, he was a, a missionary pastor, uh, a man who did great things as far as the cause of Christ. Uh, this is one of his experiences. A hot-headed woman, I don't know why it's a woman, but it was a hot-headed woman, uh, told John Wesley, my talent is to speak my mind, replied Pastor Wesley. Woman, God wouldn't care a bit if you would bury that talent. <laughs> Augustine said this, I envy the mute those who can't speak. And we'll talk about why that's so important. And it's interesting, we were talking to David Pope, who was sharing about some things happening around the world as far as reaching those who uh, cannot speak. And he made the observation that many say that those who are mute don't really envy us who can speak. But often as we think about all the things we have said that we wish we hadn't said, it would have been better that we were unable to say things. That's how destructive the, the tongue can be. William Penn said this, If thou thinkest twice before thou speakest once, thou wilt speak twice the better for it. Old English. In all debates, let truth be aim, be thy aim, nor victory or an unjust interest, and endeavor to gain rather to expose thy antagonist. And then George Eliot wrote this, Blessed is the man who, having nothing to say, abstains from giving wordy evidence of the fact. And so as we think about it, it's so easy for us to just uh, share a piece of our mind. It would be much better that we kept to ourselves. And, and words are those things that can really help people and encourage people and build them up. The Bible talks about speaking the truth and doing it in love. But we have to be very aware of the fact that the tongue can be so destructive. This, uh, this message, in many ways, is so simple. And in the passage we're looking at, we're going to basically be looking at the rationale for us to consider about what we ought to be thinking through before we communicate. But to put it in context, James hits this theme rather strongly. In your outline, uh, I, I wrote out a verse here, the dangerous power of the tongue, James 3.6. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by where? By hell. So really you could literally say hellish things can come out of our mouth that is so destructive it's like a fire out of control. In many ways, as I was preparing both the Bible study and the message, I like the Bible study that we're going to be talking about in our life groups even more than the, the message because we're going to be looking at an extensive list of passages that really drive this home. And even as it relates the tongue as being a place in which it can be that fire which is out of control, in Proverbs it says that if you can just stop the whisperer, the gosper, the person who is saying things about others that they should not be saying, then that fire that is destroying relationships will be put out. The slander destroys people's lives and, and separates intimate friends. And interesting, just as I was kind of rethinking through this, this passage in the context of, of where it's placed in this little letter uh, written by James, 
the half-brother of Jesus who grew up, obviously was not virgin-born. And he really summarizes all these things he has to say about what does it really mean to, to really live out your faith. Yesterday, I led a service for Mary Shoemaker, who was 95 years of age and full of life. In the last few years, had had a real digression in terms of her health, and her 97-year-old husband, Merle, and, and just had the opportunity to reflect upon her life. And, and so many people that, that knew her were just, were just marked by the fact that she was an encourager, that she lifted people up and not put them down. And, and now, and that's another thing I'd like you just to be praying about and for, is that Merle now has his life partner of 71 years not with him. But, but as you think about the legacy you're going to live, and that word legacy was used by the family, the legacy that Mary gave is that she was one who used her words wisely and touched people in a positive way. But James, as he, as he writes basically the Proverbs of the, the New Testament, if you turn over to James chapter 1, in fact, if, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of James, which if you're not sure where it is, it's toward the, the last part of the Bible. Find the book of Revelation, the last one. Move over four or five books and you'll run into it. If you find Hebrews, it's right next to Hebrews. But in James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, he really summarizes the, the other, there's two parts to his message. His message really is, I, I want everyone to understand what it really means to know Jesus. And, of course, that is the heart of this book. I, we, we want everyone to understand, first of all, at least understand what does it mean to know God. And, and you know God by understanding uh, who this person Jesus is who, who invaded history fully God and became fully man, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, rose again, and then offers life for those who will completely trust in Him. Mary's favorite passage, a familiar one for many of us, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. And we don't have to figure out what is that path we're supposed to be on. Jesus said, I'm the path. In John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the path, the truth, and the life. And so we come to know Jesus by wholly depending upon him, putting our trust in him, not in ourselves or anything else, but trusting Jesus and Jesus alone for our ability to know God in a personal way. But what James does, he takes that another step further. He says, well, how do you know if you've really done that? It's easy to say, I believe or this is what I think is true, well, what's the evidence of that? And none of us will live that out perfectly, but if there is no evidence to your faith, then you have to question, do you really have faith? That makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, it, you, really, you really have to demonstrate it in actions and attitudes to demonstrate what you really are convinced of. In James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, he really summarizes his pitch. He says this, If, if anyone thinks himself to be religious... And now he's using the word religious in a positive way. Uh, we in America have a kind of a trend in our culture. We say, well, I'm not religious. I have a relationship. I have a relationship with God. Well, he's not using religion in, a, in just uh, archaic ritual where all it is is 
following a, a churchianity and not Christianity. But he says this, if anyone thinks himself to be religious or have true faith, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Which you could put it this way, you really don't have a faith, or your faith, what it is, is worthless because it hasn't made any impact in your life, which would then lead to the conclusion you don't have that which has to impact in your, your life. Faith will impact your life. True faith will make a difference. And he says the first way you can examine yourself, has your tongue changed since you become a Christian? And then he goes on and says then, then verse 27, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. And so if you could say the first indication of a changed life is you have a controlled tongue. Your tongue is not out of control. It is, is one which demonstrate that Jesus has made a difference in your life. The other is you have a compassionate heart. You care about people. If you don't care about people, that makes no sense because God cares about you, and that's why you came into relationship with him. So we have to care about people. This is going to be one of those messages I'm just going to shotgun at you a little bit, okay? It was interesting. I was coming in from the... Uh, a little early uh, before the service starts, and I was coming from the back of the parking lot. And uh, one of the things we've done as a church is try to show compassion, and part of it is with the free giveaway and some of the things we do in a tangible way. But one of the things we've done is we've opened up our parking lot for um, now in a much more controlled way for people to use our parking lot in the community behind us who have no places to park. I mean, if you've ever gone over there in the evenings, it's just there's, no, there's nothing available. Um, and uh, there's, there's, some, there's some pushback on that. I mean, if you come in at various times, you'll see um, interesting cans and um, a, a bottles, glass bottles with uh, some, some, uh, some hard liquor and things like that. In fact, if you get close to my Bible right now, you'll discover it kind of smells like cheap booze, okay? So uh, I was coming in, and, I, and I, was, uh, I, was, I was picking up some of the cans and throwing them away. And, and, a, and a guy, he had, he had just come through our parking lot and stopped in the middle of the, in the street, came out. He said, what a great way to start the morning. I go, yeah. And, and, and then, and, you know, and he was, he was, he was really interesting. I mean, he, he w- you could tell he was going to work, and, um, uh, and you could figure out it was going to probably be physical work. He, he was wearing um, a tank top, uh, some people call it a wife beater, you know, type thing. And he was all tatted up, and he had muscles as big as, well, maybe a little bit bigger than mine. Okay, you know, he was, <laughs> he was, uh, you know, he was all bearded out, you know. And, and uh, it, it, was, it was just great. We got in this great conversation. And all of a sudden, he starts picking up glass in his hand. And why? Because at least collectively as a church, we're, we're helping people. And so we had a great conversation. And he, he works a lot on Sunday. Hey, you got to come on a Sunday. Well, you know, sometimes I work and he, he works at a gas, he works at a car wash, you know. Um, but he said that, you know, my wife and I need something like this. His name is Mario, so if you think about Mario, just pray for Mario. But, you see, the faith of God's people have to demonstrate individually in action and corporately in action. And the, and the thing that the reports of the free giveaway, which 
um, you know, there's a lot of effort that gets involved in that is, is the blessing that we can give to people. And do some people take advantage of this? I mean, I'm fully aware that probably some people are taking stuff so they can take it to their garage sale to sell, you know. And other people are taking it home because they need it. So what is true faith? It's a controlled tongue. If we don't have, if we don't have a bridle, if we, don't, we we don't control our tongue, our faith is worthless. If we don't have compassion, and that's not comprehensive, but if, if we don't visit orphans and, and widows in distress, or we don't help people in need, then, then we don't really have a true faith. And then he says, and to keep oneself unstained by the world, which means our, our lives need to be cleaned up. You know, what we... What we are now should be a little bit different than what we used to be. And again, it, it's never perfect, but we ought to have a controlled tongue, a compassionate heart, and a clean life. And it's interesting, in the book of James, he, he repeats these themes over and over and over again because he, he realized we don't quite get it. And again, it, it's the direction of our life, not always the performance. We're, we're going to mess up, and sometimes we, we can be so discouraged, and, and we can doubt uh, in a wrong way, our relationship with God, because uh, we fall back into certain things. But we really ask ourselves, what, what is the desire of my heart? If the desire of my heart is to have a controlled tongue, a compassionate heart, and a clean life, that as a demonstration that Christ is in you. But if that's not your desire, that's the danger flag, right? And, and I think we've all talked to people who uh, think they have their ticket to heaven, but they have no desire to walk with God. That's, that's the red flag. Does that make sense? And so he, he gets back to this subject in, in terms of saying, okay, I, I need to talk to you about your tongue. And uh, what we'll see here, I'll read the passage, I'll try to fill in some of the blanks I put in here this morning. But he, but he says in, in just very uncertain terms in James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, these words, Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to, to judge your neighbor? And what's interesting about this text, and we're going to see it a little bit as we wade through it a little bit, is that he's now not only talking about how we speak to people outside our community, you know, someone who comes alongside and we're wondering what they're going to say or do and is our first reaction to, to be defensive or to engage in them and, and sh you know, show that we care about them. But he's also talking about how about within the family itself. And sometimes, and I'll just move from the, the church family to the, you know, the, uh, the natural family, is sometimes we treat strangers better than we treat our own family. And part of that's because we get so get comfortable, we feel, well, I can say anything to them, they're going to take it, and, and we, we're, we're very short, and we're very critical of those we're closest to. And he's saying that, that should not be so, and just think it through. God should change how we communicate. And so this morning, we're, we're simply going to look at the idea of, well, what we ought to stop. And as he speaks about this, we need to realize he wasn't talking about something hy hypothetical. Well, if this ever does happen to you in the distant, you know, future, long, 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 you know, in days to come, he said, right now you are struggling with that. So again, it's not the struggle that is the, the, the final grade on whether you really know God, but it's a, what's the direction? Is this something you want to see God change in your life? Now, what is 
what does it mean to, to speak against? Now, I, I use the word slander. That's a word that we can kind of relate to. Uh, a slandering. It's speaking negatively about someone, spreading strife, and separating friends, Proverbs 16, 28, or separating um, you know, family members or whatever it might be. And it might not be your friends, but it could be the friends of the people you're gossiping about or, or speaking negatively about. Wrongfully judging. And I, and I put that attitude, wrongfully judging. Sometimes we think we can never judge. Well, that's just ridiculous. I mean, we make judgments all the time. I mean, the next time you go buy a car, you're going to judge one car in comparison to another car. I mean, if you look at judging as simply evaluating or seeing the pros and cons or, or looking at something very honestly and directly, there's nothing wrong with that. But wrongfully judging really has the idea of condemning. You know, it, it's one thing to like your car and condemn my little accent, you know, that, that runs on a hamster going around in my, you know, thing. I mean, <laughs> whatever it might be, you can like your car much better than mine, but you don't have, you don't have to condemn my car unless it's, you know, it's a hazard to, to people on the highway. And so that's what he's communicating. And he said, you just need to stop that. Stop speaking negatively about others to the point where you're, you're spreading such words that this ruins relationships and, and don't be wrongfully judging. I put this as a definition of wrongfully judging. It's making false condemnation of the innocent. And, and that's the idea of, of saying some things that you don't know particularly is, first of all, factual. You know, I heard this was said, you know, have you, someone said this, you know, and you just, you spread things you don't even really know what is the truth, and it gets out there, and by the time it gets back to the, the people who really know, it's been spread so far that the rumor has now become fact. And so that, that is such a challenge for us, is it, don't spread things you don't know for sure is accurate. But for some of us, we say, well, that's all right, because whatever I say is the truth. I never spread anything that is not true. But I would say wrongfully judging is also this. It's improper condemnation of, of even the truly guilty. You know, the, the Bible says in 1 Peter, is it 4.8 or 4.10? 4.8, I think it is. 4.8, 9, and 10. So it's, I'll give you all three verses there. It, it says that love covers a multitude of what? sins. Now, I don't know how we want to take that, but it sounds to me like it's saying there are times, even when people are sinful, that you're looking at it and say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cover that. I'm not going to expose that. I'm just going to love them. And, and so sometimes, even when people do something wrong, you don't need to talk about it. You just, you just need to let it go. Now, one author I was reading this past week said this. In terms of talking about something or someone, you know, don't say anything that's going to hurt someone. And then on the opposite said, do say something if not saying something is going to hurt them more. You understand the point there? If you can be part of a solution, if you can take something that you can help that person correct or uh, go in a different direction, you're going to be part of coming alongside them and changing their actions, then run to them and, and talk to them. But if, if, if you're not going to be part of helping them, there's no reason to talk about it. 
Let, let someone else talk about it or talk to them about it. But just let it go. I'm just gonna, again, I'm just going to throw out random things. Have you ever had someone come up to you and, and, and they, they've just got something desperately they've got to tell you and, and then they're about to say, well, where did you get this? Well, I can't tell you because the person who told me doesn't want you to know it comes from them. Have you ever had that experience? Just said that I don't want to hear it. If the person who told you is not willing to put their name to what they're having to say, then I do not want to hear it. And I, and I would say the same thing to you. If, you. if you feel there's someone in position of leadership that's important for them to hear about, then you be the primary source. Don't, don't let someone else be the conduit. And, and here's another thing just to measure. Just measure your communication. And again, no one is exempt from um, speaking out of turn, right? And, we're, and there are verses, and again, if you, if you never do the, the Bible study, do it this way because there's a variety of verses that you need to wrestle with. But, you know, they're, they're obviously, the, the more talkative you are, you know, and I do some of that for a living, and then I like to give people bad time. You know, I like to joke with people all the time. But the more you talk, <laughs> the more at risk you are to say things in a negative way, than, in a way that's hurtful than if you talk less. But for those of you who talk less, that's not, that's not a, you know, get a jail-free card. Because even if you don't talk a lot, when you do say something, it can be as even it can carry more weight and more destructive because you don't say a lot, but when you do say something, man, it really hurts. And on the other level, I would just say this: it would be interesting to measure your communication. If in your communication, and again, it doesn't even have to be in general, but it could be about even specific people. If you speak predominantly negatively about most things, or negatively about a certain person, you, you, need to, you need to pray before God and say, God, I need to stop that. I, I, say, God, I want to be a person known for being more positive than what? Negative. Now, there is a place for confrontation. There is a place for coming alongside a person and pointing out things that need to change. But we need to err on the other side of that. We need to be uh, pe- people known as so excited about the good things that are happening because there's en- enough people talking about the negative things that are happening, right? And, and again, of course, d- don't say anything about somebody else until you've said it, first of all, to them. And if, if the discussion doesn't add anything to the whole you know, movement, then just stop talking about it. I mean, let's look at the political arena. We, we, can, we can be angry about what's happening, you know, among both parties, throwing mud out, right? Well, okay, we can't control them, but we should be able to control what we do. We, we don't need to talk about what everybody already knows. Just let it go. Just let it go. And, of course, we could communicate not only things that come out verbally, but also what we put on Facebook or what we put out, you know, in various social media. It just there's a, there doesn't need to be all that. It, it doesn't add. If you are informing and you're dealing with a, an issue, then fine, but just, just let it go. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's look at James and kind of look at his rationale in terms of why this is so important and, and, why, and maybe some motivation for us to, to really wrestle with it. Speaking against others destructively, where does that come from? 
Well, in the first part of, of James 4.11, he says this, Do not speak against one another, brethren. So it was even within the family, it looked like, the family of God. They were speaking against you. There was, there was negative talk going on. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother. And we'll stop right there. Often what comes out of our mouth really relates to how we see other people. You say when you speak against, it's, it's an interesting word, it's kata laleo, which is laleo is to speak and kata is against. When we're speaking against someone, it really makes a statement as much about us as it does the other person. Because if it's not done the right context for the right purpose, purpose you're, you're a part of the solution, not just announcing the problem in a bigger way. If you're just attacking, just being negative, what, what you're doing or what I am doing is at that point elevating myself over the other person, right? I, I, I see their sin as much greater than my own sin. And that's where the most familiar passage on judging is found. Look, turn your Bibles to Matthew 7 or just listen as I turn to it. Matthew chapter 7. In many ways, this is the most misunderstood, one of the most misunderstood passages in the Bible, but it does speak powerfully. In Matthew 7, it says this, verse 1, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. Has anybody ever heard that before? You know, don't judge. Um, But it doesn't stop there. There's a period in that sentence, but the paragraph continues. For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard measure, it will be measured to you. Which is, again, kind of another motivation is, as you're judging others, would you like them talking the same way that you are talking about them, uh, to have them talk that way about you? The same tone of voice, with the same destructive language, would you want people talking about you that way? Uh, why do you, and then here's, the, here's really the principle. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but did not notice the log that is in your own eye? And this really gets to what James is saying. When we speak negatively about someone else, it really speaks about us seeing something more wrong in their life than our life. Or even in a greater way, I don't even look at what's wrong in my life. I only look at what's wrong in other people's lives. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold the log that is in your own eye? Now, who's going to see better, the person with a log in their eye or the person with a speck in their eye? Obviously, a speck. Now, how many of you have ever had a speck in your eye? I, mean, I, I don't know about you, but if I have a speck in my eye, I want that, you know, I was going to call it sucker. I want that sucker out of there, all right? I, 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 I want that thing removed because it hurts, right? It, it, it causes blurring vision. So it's, it's not that it doesn't need to get out, but I don't want, you know, an op- ophthalmologist or optometrist working on my eyes if he's got logs in his, right? I want him to be able to see better than I see. You hypocrite, first take the log of your own eye, and then you will clearly take the speck out of your brother's eye. So it doesn't mean we, we never judge what's wrong in someone's life, but make sure before you judge somebody else's life, you've judged your own life. And what that says is you never consider, and when you do that, you don't consider yourself or that person, let's put it that way, you don't consider that person less than you. That person really needs to get his act together. What's wrong with him or her? And so when, when we speak negatively, we are focused on them as lower than us. And that will never work in terms of getting a control on our tongue. So how do you see other people? Are you judging other people? And really the idea there are judging wrongfully, which is condemning. But then it goes on, the next part of 11, it says this, uh, those who judge speak, or speak, uh, speak against, speak against the law and judge the law. 
But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. And so now it turns, it's not how you see other people, it's how you see the Word of God. Now, how do I get that? Well, turn over to James chapter 2. Um, in verse 8, he says this, in relationship, uh, in verse 7, he says, Do not blaspheme the fair name by which you've been called. Don't speak evil of God by how you treat other people. And then in verse 8, he says this, If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law, according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. So, so really, when we, whenever we speak about someone, uh, we need to ask, Am I speaking this in love? And when I don't speak in love, I'm breaking what God has plainly said. And so we really see ourselves above God's law, God's word, God's counsel to us. And so it's, it's not a, a minor thing. We are putting our, and whenever we, we, we break God's law, we're saying God's law is not that important. God's word is not that important. His instructions are not that important. So he said, look, at, when you condemn someone, you're breaking what God has said because because his word says we are to live according to the, the rules of love and seeing uh, our neighbors as, as ourselves. And, and then in verse 12, again, there's only two verses here. He, he goes on and says this. Um, there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. And so he goes, okay, here, again, motivation. One, if, you're, if, if our voice, our words come out of our mouth are more destructive than then uh, that which builds up, it, we hurt more than help. Uh, not only do we see others as less than ourselves, and not only do we see the law as not being determined for us, but we also see God in a different way. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. Uh, flip, your Bibles, flip your Bibles over to Romans chapter 12. And this will be in your text this week, but it's... It's this one I want to turn to just briefly today. In, in, uh, in Romans 12, he gives us, you know, his principles of, of how we relate to others. And it's definitely countercultural because this is not when it's in our culture today. And sometimes not in churches because this is where people sometimes just have relationship destroyed. He, he, he says... He says this to us in, in no uncertain terms. Verse 17, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. Verse 19, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. But jumping up to verse 14, he says this, bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse. Now, I just read those passages rather rapidly, but when, when, when spe people speak evil of you, what is the greatest temptation for you to do? Speak evil of them. And, and what God is saying, look, at, I, I understand that, but I want you to understand because I'm God, I am the ultimate judge, I'm the lawgiver, I'm the only one who can really save, leave room for me to correct that person. Don't, don't think that you are, you know, judge and jury, that you are the prosecutor, and, and you need to bring that person to a sentence. Now, we're talking about relation. We're not talking about in a civil court or a criminal court, but he's talking about in relationships. You don't always have to correct 
everything that is wrong. In fact, the best way you can do is, is show them. In many ways, you can show people what they're doing by doing the exact opposite, right? And you're going to be in good company when you don't rail at people who rail at you. And when you think in those terms, am I playing God right now by how I'm talking about somebody else? That's a, that's a heavy thing, isn't it? Man, I'm, you know, who, who died and made you God? Have you ever heard that phrase? You know, who, who, who put you in charge? And often we, we act like that. Now, I'm not, and again, there's a balance in Scripture. When you're in positions of responsibility and in places of employment, or if you're coaching a team, if you're in a government official, official or, or if you're protecting, if you're in law enforcement, uh, you're a judge, you're on a jury, there, there's places where you have to give judgment. You have to give leadership. Uh, it happens in the church as well, and the Bible talks about that. But on relational levels, we have to be so careful about getting the God concept. God, that's the one thing I know about God. I'm not Him. And you aren't either. And, and that will be demonstrated by what comes out of our mouth. We realize He's God. Let Him be the judge. And then finally, He says, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Which is kind of related. It's, it's also how you see yourself. Which is that the idea you are putting you in the position that you are the one who, who calls the shots? Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever been in positions where you, you felt like you you wanted to call a shot? I, I used to coach when my kids were growing up, and and I could I, I look back at some of those years. And I'm thinking, you know, there were some times I I didn't act like a like a Christian very often, you know, because you know I, obviously when I was watching what's happening on the basketball court or on the baseball field or in the football field or whatever it might be, the the referee got it wrong, the umpire got it wrong. I mean, are you blind? <laughs> you know, you know and, and I thought I had to help him make the calls that he was supposed to make. Now, there's a place of kind of informing umpires who don't know the rules and, the, you know, hey, let's see right here. You know. but, but, you know, the reality is that I was, I was the coach. I wasn't the referee. I, I wasn't the umpire. And, you know, I... I wasn't totally out of control. I just wanted, but you know, there were times that you know I, I could tell. You know, man, I'm just I'm getting into this way too much, and, and I really thought that I ought to be the one making calling the shots. And that spills over, doesn't it? Sometimes, in relationships, we really think that that our way is always the right way, and and we need to inform people that you know it's do it my way. Or we're, we're, we're still talking about people who've done things in the past and we're still trying to correct the past and the past is gone. Let's treat people now in the present. Let's look to having better relationship to them in the future. But if we get caught up so much in the, the darkness of the past, we'll never see light now in the present. And we won't be an agent of change to help that person in the future. If all we're doing is being critical of them. He who does not bridle his own tongue, his faith is worthless. The tongue is like a fire, out of control. Do not speak evil against one another. It doesn't get more clear than that. And so I want to leave you this as we 
finish with a time of worship and reflection. And I, I have it in your, so what? Who in your life do you need to stop talking about? Who, who If you look back and say, every time I talk about this person, it's always, it's always negative. It's speaking against. It's always criticizing. It's always trying to point out what they've done and how bad it is. Would there really be anything missing if you just stopped doing that? Is it really helping anything? Look, look for ways to, to speak positive about people, to encourage them. If you're going to be part of the solution, then, then come alongside them for correction and for restoration. But let's, let's speak in ways that help and not hurt. Let's pray together. Well, I pray in the midst of kind of a shotgunning today from this message, I pray the text was clear, that James, in no uncertain terms, was inspired by the Spirit of God to say, we need to stop speaking evil against one another. We need to stop being a judge of everything other people do. And, Father, the only way we can do this is by the power of the Spirit. All of us fail in this area. But, Father, help us to, to see people that, the same way you do. Help us to be agents of love and concern and care. Help us to live according to the law of liberty. Help us to, to not uh, see people as less than ourselves. Help us to never see ourselves over the Word of God but under it. Help us to remind ourselves that we're not God and, and we are not in positions of authority to, to, to be destructive and condemning of others. Help us to be the church. Help us to be the people of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. my